Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Mockingjay Part 1. Mockingjay was written by Suzanne Collins and was published in 2010. And the film adaptation, which came out in 2014, was directed by Francis Lawrence. And we are following the movie tradition in splitting this into two episodes. (laughs) Because why not? Let's get as much content out there. Let's juice this for as much content as we can. (laughs) And I mean, it is hard to discuss it all at once when the movies have chosen to split it up. Yeah, because I mean, they're really getting every detail out of the book. Nothing is really left mm-hmm. on the cutting room floor. Yeah. And, I, you know, especially for the end of a franchise, you really want as much time to fully absorb mm-hmm. the series and the completion of the story as you can. So Yeah, so hopefully we'll have plenty of time to discuss what goes on in this first film and how it corresponds to the book. And then in our next episode, which will be coming out in exactly one week instead of our usual every other week rotation, we will be discussing the back half of the book and uh, part two of the movie. Yeah, so we will will be withholding all of our uh, book versus movie decision making. Yes, until that second episode. (laughs) But let's get into the story. Uh, This begins with Katniss even deeper in trauma. (laughs) Holding on by a thread. Yeah, this movie and book is really like, will Katniss ever recover? (laughs) Is is she just (laughs) mentally destroyed? Can the pieces be reassembled? Not only that, but she just keeps getting like injured too. Like more and more injured throughout this series. I really love that though. The book never really forgets any major injury, right? Yeah. I'm trying to remember now. There's just been so many injuries. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. She just continues to get bruised ribs and yeah. shrapnel and mm-hmm. you name it. Yeah. And she is in deep psychological distress as well. And when we first see her, I like how the movie kind of picks up exactly where the book begins, which is Katniss repeating to herself what she knows is true about herself her name, where she's from, like facts about her life because she is starting to kind of unravel mentally. Yeah, I mean, it's partly due to just like the mental strain she's been under, but also some medication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love the way the movie begins with her kind of like hiding in this like pipe. Yeah. I, I mean, it just shows how isolated she is. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a very dark and grim way to begin the story but feels very appropriate yeah and in even worse shape than Katniss is Finnick who was also rescued from the arena but he's not hanging on he's let go no (laughs) and speaking of dark when Katniss talks to him he is he's upset because the woman he loves Annie is being held hostage by the Capitol Mm -hmm. and he says I wish she was dead I wish we were all dead And then it's like, Mocking Jay Part 1. <laughs> well, like, let's go. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. I know the tone. I know the vibe. Let's uh, kind of get into their location, though, because they were rescued from the arena and taken straight to District 13. And mm-hmm. we're given only a brief explanation of this at the end of the last book and film, but District 13 was thought to have been bombed into oblivion by the Capitol, wiped off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And there were rumors that it was maybe some kind of hidden rebel base, 
but this has this was only confirmed at the end of the last book and movie. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know much about it. No, but that's where, you know, Katniss and Finnick and everybody else is right now. And we found out at the end of the last book and movie that Gale was able to get some people out of District 12 before it was destroyed. So there's a lot of people from 12 to in District 13, as well as Katniss and her family. So a lot of refugees, but this is a very militaristic style district. Yeah, like a base of operation. Yeah, it feels like everybody is in the military from like just the regular citizens. Like nobody in the book, especially, I feel like it talks about how everybody's just like kind of going through the motions and very joyless. Yeah, they're given very strict schedules. Like, mm-hmm. they have to be from this place from 1 to 2, then from this place from 2 to 3. Then they have 30 minutes of reflection Everybody time. goes to bed at the same time. Everybody wakes up at the same time. Yeah, just these very regimented schedules that everyone has to adhere to. It's literally in the book imprinted on them with, like, ink every yeah. day. <laughs> and something else that is an obvious, strong visual influence on, I mean, both in book and movie, is it's kind of this communistic yeah. uh, society, right? Mm-hmm. Both kind of in what they believe and how they practice things, right? Like, everyone gets kind of an equal share in everything. Even President Coin mm-hmm. isn't, like, secretly getting seconds of food and, like, all yeah. the, like, she's like, we don't have coffee, nobody's allowed coffee, <laughs> uh, no alcohol, like, that's true for everyone. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even the higher-ups in this community are, are living that lifestyle, right? Yeah, I I think it's interesting to have that idea of, like, communist-inspired, but, like, it doesn't actually feel like communism. It feels like a military dictatorship, yes. so... And that's part of my issue, is that I like this... I like Katniss being introduced to a, a different way of living, right? Not from not being under the capital's thumb. Yeah. What it's like when people kind of have more say over like their environment, mm-hmm. right? But they're also kind of constantly on the edge of oblivion and they're currently fighting a war. Yeah. So a lot of what's going on also feels necessitated by circumstance. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what would this what's the society like? day to day Mm -hmm. or like what will it hopefully look like right you can't really separate those two and that's a little bit frustrating i agree because so much of the depiction of this is kind of like a lot of the cliches of what people imagine communism is like yeah everyone wears the same drab clothing (laughs) the food sucks yeah like there's no spices no spices <laughs> They're under lock and key. There's no alcohol. Nobody's allowed to like do anything that they want to do. Yeah. And like, although this makes sense to a degree in their kind of their necessary militarized state, it's also what a lot of people associate with like communism already. Yeah. And I find that frustrating because collectivism isn't like totally separate from sense of self, right? Yeah. Or individualism. Or mm-hmm. or you, you can have both, right? Yeah, you can have a, a community that supports itself and each other without being authoritarian. Yes. You know? Uh, this kind of reminds me a little bit of um, like a wrinkle in time and mm. how like overly simplistic that like you might not remember. It was I don't. a long time ago <laughs> that we read and watched that we did an episode on that. But like it was a very overly simplistic 
uh, villain that made everyone the same and everybody yeah. had to conform and it was and, and it was like very authoritarian and like the whole military stuff with 13 is like just very intense right yeah it, it's very intense so yeah I I think it's interesting that in this book and in the story Suzanne Collins is kind of being like here are the rebels. And you know what? Maybe the rebels are not that great also. Like, maybe there are problems with the rebels. Yeah, I love hitting that. I, I love the idea of hitting that balance of, like, maybe the rebels have their own issues, right? Yeah. And we just recently watched uh, Andor, mm-hmm. the Star Wars TV show, which tackles this whole subject beautifully, if you haven't watched that show about what it means to live under fascism and what it means to rebel against that and mm-hmm. uniting people and the, the the genuine struggles of that. And like that show hits a beautiful balance of like showing the struggles of a rebellion without condemning them or being like, oh, they're just as bad as yeah. the bad guys. And mm-hmm. I don't know if uh, Mocking Jay always successfully like threads that needle. Yeah, because I think we we mostly just see the bad in 13. Yeah. Yeah, it's presented as not that great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, even though there are things that, like, Katniss thinks, you know, at one point Prim tells Katniss that she's going to be trained to be a doctor yeah. in 13, and Katniss mm-hmm. thinks, wow, she would have never had that opportunity in 12. Mm-hmm. But those moments are pretty few and far between. Yeah. Like, the genuine good qualities of being in 13, and it mostly feels just militaristic and mm-hmm. authoritarian. And, and like, they're kind of prisoners there. Yeah, and everyone, everything's drab and gray and bland. And, mm-hmm. I, and I mean, I think the same issue can be said about the way, like, dictatorships are often depicted in movies, even in The Hunger Games, where it's like, oh, soldiers with logos on their arms who are enforcing like rigid law Mm -hmm. and like sometimes that simplistic view kind of it sucks all the nuance and interest out of the story right yeah and let's talk a little bit more about the characters here um we know plutarch from the second book and movie who was the head game maker who was actually you know fighting for the rebels this whole time and he's here now and President Coyne is the president of District 13. And she and Plutarch have this plan to turn Katniss into the Mockingjay symbol. And that's the reason why they really rescued her from the arena. Yeah. Was so that she could become this symbol for the rebellion and that they could use her image and her influence to continue this war with the Capitol. Yeah, because currently the state of Pant. Pan Am, right, Mm -hmm. is that a lot of the districts are rebelling, some more successfully than others. Some are still under capital control. Yeah. But essentially all of them are rebelling except for two Mm -hmm. because two is more – it associates more closely with the capital than any other district. Yeah. Two is the one that a lot of the careers are from. Yes. Where Cato was from and from the first book and movie. Yeah. But we also learn that – District 2 is actually where a lot of the peacekeepers come from as well. Yeah. So this is what something that we talked about yes. in the other episodes because we were like, what's the deal with the peacekeepers? Like, where do they come from? They can't be all coming from the capital. That wouldn't really make sense. Like, do they come from the districts? What's up with them? And so I'm really happy that Suzanne Collins is giving us a little bit of an explanation here on the peacekeepers and maybe 
people asked her this question. Yeah, I mean, she mentions, too, that some of them do come from the capital, and they're mm-hmm. people with debts. They're people who, like, a lot of people with debts, yeah. which makes sense. They're people who maybe do see it as an opportunity, but a lot of them do come from two. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I do feel like this was information... Because if you think about it, in District 12, they were pretty chummy with a yeah. lot of the peacekeepers. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I feel like that information probably would have come up before. Yeah, with, I think we could have used it sooner. Yeah, whether one of them that Katniss knew was from two or mm-hmm. they're like, oh, yeah, this guy's from two. A lot of us are like, yeah, I, I feel like that information would have been available to her sooner. However, I'm still glad to get it here. Yeah, and it does make sense in a lot of ways. And I like it positioning two as this district that's more closely allied with the capital. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I find that very interesting. Yeah, so, you know, most of the districts are rebelling. They're in an active war situation right now. And so, you know, Coin and Plutarch want Katniss to make these videos, basically. Yes. They're like, we want you to be this part of this marketing campaign. And uh, what we're trying to push is rebellion. And we need other people to join. We need um, the other districts to rise up. And because the only way we can defeat the Capitol is once all the districts are freed first. Yes. And Katniss is like, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And just kind of leaves. Yeah. I like her in the movie being like, you left PETA. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And is just really pissed about that. She's still upset that Mm -hmm. they didn't rescue PETA. Yeah. And she, I think at least in the book, also admits and is frustrated because she let herself get separated from PETA. Yeah. So she also blames herself, too. Yeah. There's this moment in the book between her and Haymitch. Yes. I love this part. Which is really great. Um, And this is their first interaction in the book since she, like, scratched at his face and attacked him um, in the second book. And they kind of approach each other and they just don't say anything for a minute. They're kind of just looking at each other. And then Katniss is like, I can't believe you didn't save him. And then Hamish says, I can't believe you let him out of your sight. Yeah. Because I think Katniss even says, now say that back to me. Yeah. Like she. Now you go. Makes him. Yeah. And, you know, acknowledges that they're both upset with each other over Mm -hmm. how things went. Yeah. So that's a great moment of reconciliation for them, I think. Yeah, for sure. It's great to see them kind of coming back together uh, in this moment. Yeah. We get a scene, though, after Katniss. In the film, we get a scene after she says no, Mm -hmm. where it's just Plutarch and Coin. Yeah. And Plutarch is, is telling her. Well, Coin is upset. She's like, this mm-hmm. isn't the girl you described to me. And Plutarch, I just love how this mirrors the last film. Yes. With Plutarch talking to Snow, S- Snow, mm-hmm. right? And him advising him on what to do, how to manipulate Katniss, how to. Yeah. And it, it just kind of like we don't get a reason to distrust Plutarch. Yeah. But you it, it's kind of unsettling to see how similar this whole dynamic is Mm -hmm. in this film compared to the last one. Yeah, he's basically in the same role again, right? He's in charge of this film show. Yeah. Like he was with the Hunger Games, right? And he's dealing with a president Mm -hmm. and uh, trying to like kind of wheedle his way into getting what he wants. And, you know, in this moment, he's talking about strategies with Katniss, like, oh, we can show her District 12. That'll like you know, bring it home for her. We can manipulate her. I think it is really interesting. And I almost wish they went a little farther with Plutarch's character in this film. Yeah, because this is 
kind of the only scene that I can think of that's kind of behind the scenes with him and Coin. Yeah. I guess there's at least one other later on, but that seems more of a uh, explanation, exposition mm-hmm. kind of scene. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, once again, Philip Seymour Hoffman is fantastic yes. in this film. Mm-hmm. So they they get Katniss and they take her to District 12 to see the bombed out remains mm-hmm. of her home. Yeah, this is actually how the book begins. We yeah. see Katniss here. Uh, the movie does it a little bit differently and has it more like a strategy to try to get Katniss to agree to be the Mockingjay. I like that because I, I, I think that's maybe implied a bit in the book that maybe that's why she's allowed to go there. Yeah. Uh, but I like this being more directly associated in the film yeah it's very devastating it's just rubble uh katniss ends up seeing a bunch of skeletons and corpses it's really upsetting um but she is able to go back to her house because the victor's village is completely spared yes for no reason that i can determine i get the sense that like the victor's village is kind of in its own separate neighborhood area yeah and they probably figured like it's not even worth dropping a bomb there because there's like what two people that live there and yeah and Katniss and the, isn't even there so yeah I kind of figured like it didn't make any sense to yeah uh guess who shows up though it's Buttercup <laughs> Buttercup the cat <laughs> I love that this cat's name is Buttercup and he's just the angriest like most feral cat you've ever seen <laughs> and Prim is like Buttercup oh and like Buttercup <laughs> is so sweet to her and just I know hates Katniss it's, I love that it's I just love in the film Katniss just just like grabs it by the scruff of its neck and just shoves him Stuffs in the bag. Stuffs it in her bag. <laughs> uh, she also discovers a rose left there. Just to unsettle Katniss. Very creepy. <laughs> All right, wh- what's happening now? Katniss is like still not really wanting to be the Mockingjay. She's trying to settle in at 13. And then all of a sudden they get a Capitol broadcast. Yes. And it's PETA. And he's talking with Caesar Flickman. I am very glad that Caesar is still a part of this franchise. I gotta say I'm disappointed, Ian. Well, it's a totally different tone. I know. And I get it. Like, it, it, it it's not the Caesar that we love, right? Yes, yeah. But I, I also like the idea that Caesar is this guy that is naturally very endearing. Mm-hmm. And... But he kind of rides that line of he's never personable. Katniss never gets to really talk to him yeah. alone. And his allegiances like definitely lie with the capital. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's not like an Effie situation. Like yes. he's kind of he's a capital man. Right. Mm-hmm. So and also like the tone is very different. It's He's trying to do a different thing than like the Hunger Games. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different style of interview interview for sure. But I can't help just being a little disappointed. I just want to see him. Laugh like a maniac. That we don't get the Stanley Tucci, Caesar Flickman <laughs> laughing in teeth that I'm used the teeth, to. The white teeth. <laughs> yes. Um, but we see PETA who looks like totally fine and he's sounding really rational and he's discussing with Caesar what happened in the arena. And he's actually telling the truth, which is interesting because he's telling Caesar, we didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. And... He's trying to paint it like Katniss is not with the rebels. She's not part of any rebel movement. We are just pawns in the game, which is sort of like the capital trying to spin it, right? To have it so Katniss is not 
the Mockingjay. Yeah. But at the same time, Pete is just telling the truth of the situation, right? They yeah. didn't know. I mean, he kind of implies that Katniss didn't know what she was doing when she destroyed the yes. force field, which she she did know she that. Did. But like, he's like, nobody understood BT's plan. Mm-hmm. She was confused. And so he's trying to spin this in her favor, right? Yeah. Uh, but then... Things go a little crazy because on air he calls for a ceasefire. Yeah. Says we can't, the the Pan Am can't afford to like lose people. Yeah. Uh, not after the dark days, like we still haven't recovered, mm-hmm. like this will kill so many people, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And this sends people in 13 into kind of a rage. Yeah. In the movie in particular. Yes. Like everybody's screaming like traitor to PETA in 13 as they're watching. I think the film captures the vibe maybe a little bit better than yeah. even the book does. Mm-hmm. The book just has to imply that like, oh, people weren't too happy about this. But yeah. And I mean, there's a part later where Katniss is talking to Gail and Gail kind of says, I think he's still trying to protect you, right? Yeah. Because he doesn't want the capital to target you and to try to kill you. And he's trying to make it out like you are just caught in this system. But of course, Katniss is also trying to protect PETA. So she's in this position where she's actually worried about what will happen to him because yeah. she thinks that like, if they win the war, that they will execute PETA for being a traitor. Yeah, which is a very <laughs> real fear that I think the movie instills really well with like the mm-hmm. vocal outrage at PETA, right? Yeah. So she tells, she talks to Prim about this, you know, confesses these concerns of mm-hmm. hers. And Prim, being the smart, like well-adjusted young lady that she is, <laughs> is like, you should make demands of the president. Yeah. <laughs> You hold all the power, Katniss. Yeah, I mean, she's literally like, they need you to be the Mockingjay. Yeah. Nobody else can do it. Mm-hmm. You can ask for whatever you want, basically. Yeah. And, they, and they want you to feel like you can't ask for anything and that you have to do this. But you do have more power than you realize. I like this scene, especially mm-hmm. this coming from Prim. Yeah, we hardly get anything with Prim, even in the books. Like, yeah. you know, it's not just like, oh, the movies had to cut out a lot of Prim content. But she's not really... She's like a symbol, right? Yes. It's more the idea of Prim than the reality of Prim. Than her as a character. In (laughs) fact, even in the book, she's like, Prim is like the best parts of every member of my family. She's Mm -hmm. essentially perfect. And, you know, really painting her up as being like like an angel. Yeah. But it was so funny. We were watching the film and, you know, there's that scene before they talk where Katniss is in her bed and they show Prim in hers. Yeah. And just her face. And I'm like, she is so much older than she was in that first movie. Yeah. In the books, it's supposed to be like. Two years later? Not even, really. Yeah. Because you have the first Hunger Games that happens right pretty much at the beginning of that film. Yeah. And the second Hunger Games, it's like a year later. And That's this is true. shortly after the second. So it's, it's like not like even two year. years. Yeah. And I was just like, her, she looks so much older. <laughs> and then she gets out of bed and just the longest limbs I've ever seen like <laughs> unfold. And she's so tall now. She's so lanky. It's just, it's so funny what a contrast it is from, when, from the first film. Yeah. Good that we at least get a scene here between the two of them for sure yeah so katniss returns to coin and plutarch Mm -hmm. with her list of demands yeah and her first demand that PETA is you know gonna be given immunity coin is like nope (laughs) and i love this because katniss really just fires back and is like you're gonna do this Mm -hmm. and you're gonna make it a public statement yeah and i i love this because as she's speaking in the film Mm -hmm. they're showing coin and 
Coin's more of the focal point, but you see Plutarch to the side, and you just see him smiling. Yeah. Like, openly smiling. Mm -hmm. And as soon as she's done making these, like, demands, he's like, that's her. Yeah. That's the girl you want. imagine her on a battlefield. (laughs) There's smoke and fire. Like, he's already, like, pitching her. Yes. Like, he has the camera ready in his mind, right? Seeing her kind of have this defiance and fire, when for so long she's just been so, like, mentally disturbed and upset. Yeah. Like, I think this is... And also, I think this is him trying to smooth things over, too, and get mm-hmm. Coin to agree to these demands. Yeah. She she wants not just PETA, but all the tributes to be given immunity. Because, you know, she's like, I don't know what the capital is going to force them to do or what is happening to them. Yeah. And then she also says that... Uh, Prim gets to keep the cat. (laughs) (laughs) I think the movie also does a really good job of showing how Plutarch kind of maybe makes up for some weaknesses on Coin's part. Yeah. That maybe Coin is kind of this, like, this is what we have to do to survive. This is our military plan. Mm -hmm. But she has no finesse. Yeah. And that Plutarch is kind of there. Like, at one point, she gives a speech, and he's kind of like, I think that could have been tweaked a little bit better. Yeah, I'm literally like, he is mansplaining, (laughs) making a speech to her. (laughs) But but that is, like, that's his specialty, right? Is how to sell people on something. How Mm -hmm. to sell people on the Hunger Games or a war. Yeah, a revolution. Propaganda, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's his, like, niche. And I think I like seeing in the film how he completes this aspect a little bit more. Yeah. Like you can maybe read between the lines in the book a little bit, but I think the film fleshes that out further. For sure. Yeah. So Coin and Plutarch do agree to this. And so they're like, all right, you're going to be the Mockingjay. And this is where um, we have to get Katniss camera ready, right? Yes. So who who comes in? Uh, it's different people in the book and the movie. Yes. In the book. She finds out that her prep team, the three people that were responsible, you know, who worked under Cinna yeah. to do her makeup and all that stuff, uh, ha- were captured. They mm-hmm. were kidnapped by rebels out of the Capitol. Yeah. And they have been in like a prison cell in District 13 for like, I guess since the second Hunger Games. Yeah, it's implied. So they, they say that like they were stealing food. Yeah. And so they were put in the prison cell. But Katniss almost thinks that Coin did this to kind of like have power over her a little bit. Yeah. But she also considers maybe Coin did this as like a favor. Mm. Because she she I think it's maybe Gail she's talking to or maybe it's just her thinking. She's like, she probably thinks I hate these people because they like dressed and prepped me to be slaughtered. (laughs) And there's no reason I should like them. So maybe Coin thought I would like seeing them in this state. Yeah. But in the book, she's really just disturbed by it. She's Mm -hmm. disturbed that 13 would treat people like this. Yes. Yeah. And I I like too that she's kind of wrestling with her feelings over her prep team. Because on one hand, they're extremely spoiled and entitled. Mm -hmm. And, but she knows like, they're kind of dumb and like they didn't choose to grow up in the capital. Maybe if I grew up in the capital, yeah. I would be just like them. Yeah, I see her in like in the book, her and Gail kind of like coming head to head on this a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I remember them arguing. Yeah, where Gail has no sympathy, right? Mm-hmm. And Katniss is very much like, I mean, put yourself in their perspective, you know, like you were saying, what if we had grown up in the capital and like they don't know any better and like they were devastated when I had to go back into the arena, right? Yeah. And so I think showing this little p- bit of push and pull between her and Gail here 
and that they're coming from different perspectives. But yeah, she has this prep team. But in the movie, we get Effie. Effie's back. Yeah. I'm so happy. We were reading the book and it was only the prep team mm-hmm. in the book, you know, or at least this first half. And I was yeah. like, oh, God, is Effie in the film? Like, I can't remember. Like, it's been so long. Yeah. And then when Elizabeth Banks shows up, I'm like, yes. Yes. I need Effie in this drab, sad. I know. Communistic <laughs> society. She's really upset about the jumpsuits. <laughs> She's making the most of it. Yeah. She's got like a head wrap. Yes. Uh, she's kind of trying. Well, she's like putting together some ridiculous pink outfit in yeah. like her prison cell. Yeah. <laughs> when Plutarch goes to collect her. Her prison cell. It's just her room. I guess it's just her room. It just looks like a prison cell. He just tells her. He's like, it's not a prison cell. Effie. <laughs> right. He's like, you're allowed to leave. Yeah. I think this choice makes sense for the movie because why not have Effie come back? For this. Well, and her prep team has not been given like any no. significance in the in the movies at all. Yeah. This is also where we find out that Sinna is definitely dead. Remember when I was like, maybe yeah. he's not dead in the last episode. And he's- I was like, I don't remember him coming back. Yeah, he's dead. It's sad. It is sad. I mean, I appreciate that they killed off a character like this. Yeah. That it's like, I don't know, he just kind of got taken away. Yeah. And and they died. killed him. Yeah, and they killed him, or he died in torture or whatever. Like, it's kind of brutally realistic in a lot of ways. For sure. Yeah, so they get Katniss all dolled up, right? And she's ready to film a propo, Ian. A propo. <laughs> Which is the worst I name. It. I hate it so much. It's just a propaganda film. Yeah. Uh, but we find out pretty quickly that Katniss cannot act. And I, I love this so callback good. to like all the interviews that they had to do for the Hunger Games and how Mm -hmm. she's like, Peter was the one that did like, did these so well, right? He could just charm an audience and and put on a persona. And I was always like, here's my dress. like, (laughs) (laughs) And just being in love with Peter. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, read any interview with actors doing high budget action movies or sci-fi movies who have to act like against a green screen. Yes. And they'll say it's the hardest thing in the world. (laughs) You're acting against nothing. Yeah. And you're given lines, you're fed lines from like off camera and Mm -hmm. it's just super weird. Honestly, I'm so impressed with Jennifer Lawrence because (laughs) she sells Katniss being shitty at acting. (laughs) And I love it. It's so good. (laughs) And it's good in a way that like it genuinely seems like she's trying. Yes. But it's just off and awkward enough. (laughs) I know. How does she do it? I know. It's she's great at acting badly. It's perfect. It's it's phenomenal. I love her being like, we fight, we something <laughs> like <laughs> people of Panem. <laughs> like the cadence is just kind it's of so off. wrong. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. <laughs> and you know, in the book she's kind of on a set, right? Yeah. Where there's like smoke and some fire and some rubble. But in the film, it's like she's on a green screen or like the void, right? Yes. Like where it's just kind of this weird simulated. The volume. The volume, yeah. <laughs> I keep calling it the void. The void. The volume. <laughs> Same thing. Sink into the void. <laughs> and they give her like a stick and they're like, this is your flag. And of yeah. course they just CGI a flag on it. <laughs> like I love it. It's so funny. It makes me think of in the last movie when her and Peta were doing that interview 
view and it's just a camera on an arm yeah. like in their face. Yes. Like kind of capturing the awkwardness mm-hmm. of what it's like to film things like this. For sure. Yeah, and then we get a really great entrance for Hamish here. This is our first time seeing Hamish in the film, where he just sarcastically slow claps claps. his way into the scene. (laughs) Great slow clap. Great use of slow clap. Yeah, and uh, well, it's actually the first time we ran into him in the book, too, where she just hears his voice come Mm -hmm. over the intercom and say, that's how a revolution dies. (laughs) But then we go to, and once again, getting into the minutia of Mm -hmm. selling something like a war or propaganda, we get a focus group. Yes. (laughs) So they watch her, her awful take. Yeah. And are critiquing it and kind of being like, okay, we all agree this sucks, right? Yeah. So let's let's workshop this. <laughs> let's let's brainstorm and yeah. you know, Hamish goes up on the board and starts like writing things down. Yeah, and Hamish, you know, knows Katniss super well, right? Mm-hmm. They're very alike in a lot of ways and he is saying he's like all of Katniss's best moments are just her reacting to what's going on around her. It's unscripted. It's just her, you know, natural feelings and emotions coming out. So we can't just hand her a script and, you know, put her in front of a screen and expect real emotion to come through. And so they have this idea to put Katniss in a real setting, not necessarily in battle itself, but in real situations, more controlled environments where she'll be safe or as, as safe as they can make her, um, but trying to get a little bit more real with what they're filming. Yes. So they kind of look at their 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 board, their game board of the districts and realize that uh, District 8 has recently been through some shit, but mm-hmm. they think it's settled down and they want her to go there, see see the district, visit a hospital where mm-hmm. there's been wounded uh, soldiers and and just uh, people of District 8 and kind of talk to them and just get some footage and mm-hmm. hopefully get her in a mindset of what this war really means and maybe get some more out of her, right? Yeah. I do want to just read a little portion from the book here and kind of talk about how Katniss feels about all this. Like, Katniss is doing this because she's still trying to save PETA, right? Yeah. And the other tributes. And, you know, she does kind of believe in the cause, but she knows that she's being used, right? Yeah. And she's kind of pissed off about it and is always aware in every situation that everything that's being done to her is like she's just a pawn, right? Yeah. Like no one really cares about what she's going through and that some people like Plutarch and Coin might be willing to hurt her in different ways emotionally or physically to get what they want. Yeah. And I just want to read this part here from the book. Another force to contend with. Another power player who has decided to use me as a piece in her games, although things never seem to go according to plan. First, there were the game makers, making me their star and then scrambling to recover from that handful of poisonous berries. Then President Snow, trying to use me to put out the flames of rebellion only to have my every move become inflammatory. Next, the rebels ensnaring me in the metal claw that lifted me from the arena, designating me to be their mockingjay, and then having to recover from the shock that I might not want the wings. And now Coin, with her fistful of precious nukes and her well-oiled machine of a district, finding it's even harder to groom a mockingjay than to catch one. 
but she has been the quickest to determine that I have an agenda of my own and am therefore not to be trusted. She has been the first to publicly brand me as a threat. Yeah. I like that so much because it really kind of paints a picture where Katniss is and how just aware she is of her situation. Yeah, and I mean, connecting it to how she was treated and how she uh, was forced to act by the Capitol, right? Yeah. Uh, Especially in the last book when Snow was like, listen, you have to squash this rebellion by just acting in love with PETA Mm -hmm. as you go on tour and like really sell them on this. And so she has to put on one hat and Mm -hmm. then like she comes to District 13, she has to put on a different hat. Yeah. And she's just, like she said, she's a a pawn in their games, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, similar to how... Plutarch and Snow talked and how he talked with Coin and seeing yeah. those similarities, seeing how Katniss is being used by District 13 like she was by the Capitol. Mm-hmm. It's not that 13's agenda is morally the same or equal to the Capitol, but for her, it almost doesn't matter. It feels the same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she does go to District 8, like you were saying. And they want her to just go visit a hospital and get some footage of her interacting with the wounded, being a symbol of hope for people, which I think is actually a pretty good idea for her. Yeah. Um, And it's kind of emotional to see and to read about this scene where she's just talking to people and they do see her as this symbol of hope. And for her to have to see like all this suffering and pain and to try to give them a little bit of hope. Yeah. And God, to like, Put salt in the wound. People thought she was pregnant. Yeah. In the last book with Peta's child. Yeah. And now they're like, well, what do we tell people? And she's just like, just we'll tell them I lost the baby. Yeah. Or like that's the story given to her. And like mm-hmm. one woman, she tells like, oh, I, I lost the baby. And the woman's like so upset. I know. And in the book, she's like, I just wanted to tell her that it's like. It's not real. There's, there was never a baby. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not real. Like please don't feel sad about this. But mm-hmm. just kind of. You know, I think she is happy to inspire people, but also feels kind of a burden of this, right? Because yeah. it's it's kind of a lie, right? Mm-hmm. This is like a narrative that's being constructed around her. Like, it, it's yeah. kind of like a chosen one mm-hmm. story, yes. but she's made the chosen one. They're like, how do we make her a chosen one? How mm-hmm. do we sell this image? Yeah. And... You know, because rebellions or movements like need a kind of leader oftentimes. And yeah, how do we do this? A symbol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she feels responsible for the people that die because of her. Right? Yeah. Even yeah. though it's not really her fault, she feels a sense of responsibility. Uh, we should talk about some of the other characters that join her. Part of her kind of security and also camera team. Yes. Yeah, so Coin's like kind of right hand man mm-hmm. and who accompanies Katniss on a lot of stuff is Boggs. Yeah. Who is a really interesting character. He's very, he's older. He's like Mm -hmm. in his 40s. He's very military focused. And Katniss kind of like waffles on like whether she likes him or not. But ultimately, Mm -hmm. I think she warms up to him. Yeah, I think he starts to view her kind of like uh, a daughter in a lot of ways. Um, they, They do start out a little bit antagonistic, but I think he respects her. Um, but he's played by uh, Mahershala Ali. I know. I couldn't <laughs> believe. I totally. Well, I probably didn't know who he was. Yeah. When I first saw this movie, and mm-hmm. like I just didn't hear about him being in this franchise. Yeah. After that, and I totally forgot. We have uh, Cressida, who is manning the camera. Yes. Played by uh, Natalie Dormer, and then we also have Castor and Pollux, and. 
I think Pollux is the one who was an Avox. Yes. Yeah. Who had his uh, tongue removed by the Capitol. Yeah. And I think this is unique to the film, but Cressida tells Katniss that, yes, they're all of them are from the Capitol, but they mm-hmm. like fled. Yeah. And they fled because of her, that she inspired them. I don't think yeah. that's in the book, is it? I think they were part of Plutarch's team in the book. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember. Oh, and in the book, there's also that other woman who's like Plutarch's assistant. Oh, yeah. What's I, I forget her name. Yeah. She's very like, they didn't have to have her and I'm glad they yeah. didn't. But <laughs> another character in the book as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so they're uh, Cressida... And the two cameramen Mm -hmm. are kind of the film team that follows her around. Yeah, and Gail's with her, too. Yes, Mm -hmm. and she slowly over the story kind of, like, bonds with all these, like, new characters. Yeah. Uh, So this happens a little bit differently in the book and movie. Ultimately, when she's in District 8, um, it gets bombed, even though they weren't expecting a bombing. And in the movie, it is because Snow sees on some cameras that she is there. Yeah, the book almost goes out of its way to be like, Katniss, this isn't because of you. Like, this bombing must have been planned already. Like, don't worry Mm -hmm. about it. It's not your fault. In the film, it's like, it's it's kind of her fault, right? (laughs) I really love this moment of Snow getting the information that Katniss is in District 8 and ordering a bombing. Mm -hmm. Because he's already shown in the movie, like, public executions on television and has banned any association with the Mockingjay symbol. Mm -hmm. And they tell him, like, she's an eight. She visited a hospital. What should we do? And he's like, bomb the hospital. Yeah. Because, you know. They're associating with a rebel. Yeah. And you can just see the kind of, like, is he fucking for real? Like, on people's faces. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's very chilling just to watch someone so casually give an order like that. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very effective. Yeah. I mean, no matter what, how this happens, the hospital is bombed and Katniss and Gail end up kind of breaking away from their camera team and going rogue with their arrows. They're going rogue. They bring down one of the Capitol planes, which is cool, uh, but they're not able to save the hospital and everybody inside is killed, um, which leads to Katniss to give this emotional speech, which, you know... All they needed was to bomb a hospital full of children, and uh, they got it from Katniss, right? Yeah. She she can deliver under the right circumstances, yeah, right? the perfect situation. <laughs> yeah. So she gives this really impassioned speech to the cameras about, mm-hmm. like, this is what the Capitol does, this is why we're fighting, mm-hmm. and that... Uh, the uprising is is catching fire. Yes. More fire metaphors. If we burn, you burn with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I really love the way the film cuts straight from this to the propo yes. that they're watching on TV. I know. I, I, I love seeing Katniss watching this and being, like, uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, because it kind of, su- like... In the moment, like, this is a really impassioned, emotional yeah. speech. And it caused feels by, real. Caused by a tragedy. Yeah. And then just it cutting to the propo just kind of, like, very intentionally kind of undercuts the moment. Yeah. yeah. And just seeing it used to rile people up. Mm-hmm. Whether for good reasons or bad, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's just an uncomfortable feeling, yeah. right? For sure. And Katniss is definitely dealing with that as she's kind of watching herself and watching how her image and, like, her emotions are being manipulated to incite this rebellion. Yeah, this whole theme, which has been, was present in the first two books, just really gets fleshed out so well here. And that's the idea of 
war, but also the propaganda of war Mm -hmm. and being forced to, I I don't know how to put it, like give up agency either to protect yourself or people you love mm-hmm. or to kind of be turned into a tool by the government for war. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so unique and nuanced, I think. There, there's so many YA stories, right, about, like, rebellions yeah. and war and, like... Dystopian. Just dis- Yeah, dystopian and fighting some kind of capital, like, entity. But, like, this story gets into this idea... In such a unique way, I think. For sure. But we can see that it's working, right? They air this propo, this propaganda in the districts. And in the movie, we actually see scenes of some of the districts rebelling. And we see the lumberjacks rebelling. The lumberjack attack. In the lumberjack district, you know. This is, I think it's a little goofy. Yeah. Where they run from the peacekeepers and they scurry up the trees (laughs) and they're exposed for so long. I know. Like running up the trees, but then they like ignite these bombs that Mm -hmm. are underneath the peacekeepers. So I do like the plan. It's just the moments of them scurrying up Mm -hmm. that are, it's a little funny to me. Yeah. They're using Katniss's words right from the, the film. Like if, if we burn, you burn with us. And then we see a scene later, you know, with another district destroying a hydroelectric dam. And they're they're singing a song that Katniss used in one of the propaganda films. So in the movie, we see direct evidence of, like, the films to action, right? Yeah. In the book, we just kind of hear about um, more rebels are joining the cause, more districts are uprising, and it's having the desired effect. It's kind of cool to have these scenes in front of us, though. Yeah, it makes the whole rebellion and war feel a little bit more real and tangible. Yeah. Let's talk about Gail a little bit. Ian, because Gail has been a presence off and on in these films, but I think Gail has his biggest part in the story here in this book and in this movie because PETA is not here. Yes. It's Gail's time to shine, baby. (laughs) His his time to move in. Yeah. Um, And I don't think we're seeing anything too crazy happening in the movie. We do get uh, kind of a scene of them coming together. They're they're able to hunt together a little bit um, on the surface when they're at 13. And they have some moments here together where it seems like they're connecting and they're bonding. But like something still seems to be like blocking them, right? Yeah. And... <sighs> It's hard to tell because, I mean, I feel the same way in the book mm-hmm. where they're dynamic. I think they have I think they're more interesting when they're arguing about the war, yeah. the ethics of what they're doing. Like, I find those parts to be more interesting, like when they argue about the prep team and the people yes. of the Capitol. Like, yeah. I, I like those moments a lot. Mm-hmm. It's when they're kind of supposed to be like romantically involved. Yeah. That I'm like kind of checked out. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the film is helped at all but like Liam, uh, Liam Hemsworth is fine. Yeah. He's a little wooden though. Uh-huh. And I don't think he really His whole thing is just being tall. <laughs> yes. So tall. Yeah, he's like I've got one thing going and it's that I'm tall. <laughs> I mean, like he's always important to her because he's helped her with her family. Like he's there for her when she needs him and they they are a team in a lot of ways, but it's almost like they don't have anything that connects them beyond those things right yeah. circumstance and and they do have a, like a, a familiarity with each other but like you said 
There's so many instances in the book, at least, where they're kind of disagreeing or she's upset at him about something because he is either, you know, not agreeing with her about like the prep team or about PETA and like what's going on with PETA in the Capitol and like also kind of going along more with 13 strategy for military stuff and Katniss being more kind of like appalled by some of their tactics. Yeah, he's much more radical than she is. Yeah. And doesn't see that much nuance in any of the situations. And I like that dynamic a lot. I wish maybe that was a little bit more present in the film. Yes. Because honestly, like like I was saying, the whole romance angle, I think this is the, mo- the this is the book and movie where I started to get tired of it. For sure. The love triangle thing. Because, like, you know, Peta's out of the picture, but mm-hmm. she still feels guilty about Peta's situation, and she still has to protect him. But yeah. Gail is there for her and able to comfort her, but mm-hmm. she feels guilty about that. And I, I think the past stories were able to construct a narrative where she was kind of in a love triangle, but it didn't beat you over the head with it. Yeah. And you also kind of understood why she felt the way that she did. Yeah. This is the story where I'm like, I really kind yeah. of want I'm like, this you, to you end. can't do this, Katniss. <laughs> like, you just have to be like, I can't be with you, Gail. Yeah. Like, I literally cannot. Like, stop, stop trying, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sure she needs someone and maybe even that, like, physical intimacy to a degree. Yeah. But... I just I do not have much tolerance for it in this story. It's just I, not it's just not I that agree. compelling. I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit of a failing in this one. Um, but they do go to 12 for their next film. They want to uh, show Gail and Katniss in their old district and end up, you know, showing the footage in the movie. It's sort of implied that like because they see another interview that PETA is doing with Caesar that's broadcast and Gail's kind of on Peta's case and is being like, he's a coward, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And and Katniss is like, he doesn't even know what happened in District 12. Like, we should film the footage so he can see it. Yeah, uh, Peta's whole family is dead. And he does not know. They died yeah. in, in the bombing and he has no idea. Yeah. So that's part of the motivation for going back to 12 and filming it. Mm-hmm. So they go back and Katniss is kind of like overwhelmed again by mm-hmm. the scene and I do like this scene in book and movie for Gale. Yes, he at least gets this moment. Yeah, he kind of shows the film crew around and recounts how he, like, basically single-handedly saved, like, hundreds of people yeah. by helping them to, like, evacuate into the woods during the bombing. Mm-hmm. But he still feels guilty about how many people did die that he couldn't save. And yeah. he's kind of recounting these events to the camera crew. Mm-hmm. We we get a little bit of the scene between him and Katniss here where, like, they have this kiss. But again, it's just, like, so kind of annoying and painful. And he's like, you only kiss me when I'm hurt. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah. And then he's like, I'll like, like, don't worry. It'll end soon or yeah, something. Yeah, he's so he dramatic about it. And I'm like, Ugh. like, please, can we just uh, leave Katniss alone? Yeah. We get this really emotional moment here, too, in District 12, where Katniss is just having kind of a downtime moment with her film crew. And she ends up singing this song, The Hanging Tree. Yeah. And this is a song that her dad taught to her. So there's the memory of her father in that moment there. But she's singing this song and, you know, the camera crew sees this as an opportunity to film this for their propose, right? And 
it's inserted into one of these films later on and is actually ends up being kind of like a rallying cry for some of the other districts. And we actually see in the movie, like District 5, singing this song as they go to bomb the hydroelectric dam. Yeah, and once again, it's kind of a moment where Katniss is having a sincere moment just singing this song. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, cameras were on. Yeah. Do you mind if we use this and (laughs) broadcast it publicly? Like, we're going to do it. Yes. Uh, This is interesting, though, because when... Pete is giving another interview on TV, and this is the third one, and Katniss has noticed that he looks worse and worse. Uh, he looks so sunken. In each interview, and so she's like, they're torturing him, like, what's happening to him? He just seems on edge and, like, jittery, like like he's not well. But they're intercutting, they're kind of jamming the, the Capitol's frequency and intercutting footage of this latest film that they've made of Katniss singing this Hanging Tree song. Yeah, and you can see him kind of being distracted by it, seeing yeah. Katniss, it, it breaking his concentration. And he kind of is what seems like giving a threatening message mm-hmm. about how, like, you don't know 13, none of... And then it turns into a warning where he says, none of you will be alive by tomorrow morning. Yeah. And they quickly cut mm-hmm. the, the feed and 13 quickly responds. They know they're going to be under attack and they yeah. evacuate, evacuate everyone into the even deeper. The deepest bunker. The deepest bunker. <laughs> Inside the bunker. <laughs> yes. Within the bunker. The bunker's bunker. Yeah. This is a lot more dramatic in the film, of course. In the book, everybody just kind of, like, walks at a very, like, normal pace. Like, Katniss comments on how everyone's so used to the drills that everybody (laughs) just walks at, like, a very normal pace down into the bunkers. They get sealed up and everything. Uh... But, like, in the movie, everyone's, like, tripping on the stairs. Katniss goes down. People are trampling her. She almost gets her. trampled yeah. to death. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it does make for a more exciting scene. Yeah. Fucking Prim goes back Bought for her, her cup. goddamn cat. <laughs> and luckily, Gail either sees her. I think he went back to the room for a different reason, but he yeah. manages to bring her down before mm-hmm. they shut the gates, like, forever and, like, don't let anyone else out or in. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a whole exciting... It is the slowest countdown I've ever seen in my life I in know. the film. <laughs> it's like five... <laughs> four <laughs> I know it goes on for so long yeah um, they're in the bunker for a while and we have the cat to play with they're doing this little like flashlight game yeah. with the cat I love it everyone starves for attention yes but this is where Katniss is kind of like Peta's in, in the shit right like yeah. she can't deny anymore how awful he looked and also that he's being punished because of her yeah, it's kind of a realization that she's having that mm-hmm. they're clearly torturing him or depriving him of, him of food, whatever, because of her. Yeah. And that the more propos she does, the more that she helps the rebellion, the worse they're going to treat him. Mm-hmm. And this kind of comes to a head when the bombing stops. Yeah. And they go back above ground. They want to shoot a quick propo. Mm-hmm. I hate saying that. <laughs> a quick propo <laughs> to show that. Katniss is alive, that everyone's alive, everything's fine, just kind of rub it in the capitalist face. But they find roses have been scattered. Yeah. And Katniss just goes into a full meltdown. Yeah. I mean, it's too much for her, right? I mean, it's been so much stress and to have Snow kind of rub it in her face that he has PETA, right? And so she melts down and they're like, all right, I guess we're not filming anything today. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So 
this kind of they have to rethink things, right? Because now that Katniss has realized that me doing this is hurting PETA, mm-hmm. they're like, okay. We got to get Peta out of there. Yeah, interestingly, in the book, they specifically say, in order for you to be the Mockingjay, we have to get Peta. So we're going to get Peta, which we maybe could have done the whole time. But now that you're <laughs> yeah. having an emotional breakdown and won't can't be the Mockingjay, we'll go get Peta. In the movie, they're like, oh, with the hydroelectric dam down, the Capitol power system, like their grid is unstable. And this is our chance to actually rescue them. So two different like motivations. Yeah, that's a good point about the book that they I mean, they kind of imply that they have insider spies and that yeah. they're kind of using them slash putting them in danger if they execute this plan. So it's not that like they could have just gotten him yeah. at any point. Yeah, but still. But yeah, the reason that they're like, okay, well now that we can't use you yes. unless we get PETA, we'll do it. Mm-hmm. So kind of showing their hand a bit here. For sure. So the plan is set in motion. Mm-hmm. They get their SEAL Team 6 ready. <laughs> and Gail's going. Ga- Gail joined immediately. Mm-hmm. And they won't let Katniss go, obviously. She's way too important. Yeah. But they have a plan for her to help mm-hmm. her and Finnick. Yeah. They're going to film some more Propo stuff and, you know, broadcast it. And hopefully that'll be a distraction for the team that's going in to get the, you know, the tributes out. This is where we see Finnick get to have a little bit of a moment, which I like a lot. I really like it in the book. I think the movie kind of does it. Distracts it, it does it. it a disservice. Yeah. Where, you know, they, they make the excuse that, oh, we're using this broadcast to jam up their signals. Yeah. So Finnick talking is really just a piece of the mission, which they are intercutting it with. Like they're showing... Uh, the the rescue team infiltrating the Capitol building, rappelling down, going in with guns like mm-hmm. it's all dark and cool and zero dark 30. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but like we only ever see Finnick talking intercut with this with the dramatic music and you only see him like on a screen. Yeah. And you're kind of not even paying attention not listening. to what he's saying. Yeah. But this this is like him telling his story, right? I know. And we never really understood Finnick and like what was going on with him because we knew he was this like capital golden boy and everyone was in love with him. And he was like this sex symbol and like had all yeah. these lovers in the capital. But then we find out that he he's really in love with Annie, this very mentally unstable, broken girl who's also a victor from one of the Hunger Games, right? And like we're trying to fit these things together. And now he's like devastated and broken but here he is finally being like this is my story i was used as a prostitute at snow's disposal right and he literally said if you don't sleep with these people i'll have the people that you love your family killed yeah uh, it's very much his prince harry moment like yeah. he's getting to tell his <laughs> tell story his right story. yeah and i mean you know, not only is he saying what happened to him and how awful this was, he's saying, but I use that position to get find out secrets. And he just starts spilling the tea on live TV, right? Yeah. And it's great. And not only is he talking about all these influential people in the Capitol and all their secrets, but he talks about President Snow specifically. I think it says something that I so in the last movie, there's a moment where President Snow like spits up blood yeah. into his champagne. And we're like, is he sick? Is he dying? Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't remember. And given the film, like that kind of makes sense now because this whole thing is so kind of glossed over. Yeah. But Finnick explains how Snow rose to power basically just by poisoning everybody. Yeah. But occasionally he would have to consume poison himself to like 
not be suspected. Yeah. And Finnick was like, I mean, antidotes can only go so far. And he has like these bleeding mouth pustules now that like are constantly just open and sore. And that's Mm -hmm. why he's just like spitting blood all the time. And that's why he wears roses all the time to mask the scent of the blood in his mouth. Wouldn't he just smile and his teeth would be like bloody? (laughs) 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 Just giving this really nice friendly smile. and It's just like pink. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. But that's kind of a bit of Snow's origin story. And I'm very curious now for the, I mean, we might get, I haven't finished the book yet. We might get even more snow backstory, but mm-hmm. like obviously we have the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Yes, which uh, is the prequel. Yeah, coming up about snow. So mm-hmm. I'm very curious if it'll touch on his poisoning phase in his yeah. career. <laughs> I mean, I think he's always in a poisoning phase. I think like poisoning phase is his default. Right? Yes. <laughs> <He's>... <laughs> ABP, always be poisoning. I'll always be poisoning. <laughs> Uh, the movie kind of goes rogue a little bit with the story here because as the the team is coming through, they're like, oh, no, the power is coming back on yeah. as they're trying to do this mission. And Katniss is like, put me on the air. I'll try to talk to Snow. Let me get him. Let me uh, video call. Let me FaceTime <laughs> yeah. with Snow. And she's just... Uh, President Snow, are you there? It's me, Katniss. Like, for so long, Ian. Like, ten times Too long. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really trying to build up the suspense of this. And, like, I I get that it's to keep the line open, to keep jamming the signal. But it's a little bit. It's pretty, pretty rough yeah and then she's like just tell me what to do i'll do anything and i'm like this isn't a good look for you no yeah and then this is where uh snow reveals that he's aware that they're intentionally jamming the signal because of the rescue team yeah and he abruptly hangs up Mm -hmm. yeah implying that he knows about the rescue and that he's just gonna kill them yeah and so katniss is freaking out she's like oh my god gail's gonna die pete is gonna die too like both of them are gonna die yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. Well, I, I, it feels I, weirdly paced. Well, I think it's meant to like this is the climax of this movie. Yeah, which of course isn't any kind of a climax in, in the, the book. book. Yeah, but I think they wanted to make more of this in the film. Yeah, but ultimately it kind of is a little clunky. It feels manufactured, and I really think they could have made it more instead of a dramatic climax. It could have been more of just an emotional one. Like if they yeah. focused more on Finnick's story, I know. I think it would have been. More more interesting mm-hmm. plus the movie ends on an exciting note anyhow yeah so like i didn't even know how he felt about the whole seal team six infiltration thing like yeah, yeah it's exciting but like i said it kind of distracts from Phoenix's story yeah mm-hmm. so there's some trade-offs there and i don't know if it always works yeah because we go from like snow being like i know they're here and basically implying he's going to kill them to like just Katniss like hanging out and like waiting and then she and Coin kind of have a discussion about how hard it is to like wait when something bad is happening. Mm, yeah. Which I'm like, is this meant to be a bonding moment between them? Because it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, honestly, I forgot about that moment <laughs> until right now when you mentioned it. I didn't yeah, remember it that. It just like falls really flat. And then all of a sudden Hamish like runs in and is like, they're back. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Oh, cool. I <laughs> Great. guess. I guess they survived. Yeah. 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 No, it, it, it's all a little bit awkward. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of talking about, like, why did they let us go? Yeah. And and it's implied in the book later on, after this moment, Gail says something similar. He's yeah. like, the mission went a little too smoothly. Like, I think 
They let us take PETA. And mm-hmm. he, honestly, if we didn't rescue him, I think they would have like dropped him on our doorstep. Yeah. Given certain things that happen. Yeah, but but in the book, like, she doesn't have that crazy confrontation with Snow, right? No. So it's like, when, when Gail says it felt a little too easy getting them out, it's more like his just perception of, like, a mission that, like, yes. everything went pretty smoothly, and, like, they had some resistance, but it didn't feel like they were really trying, you know? Yeah. Instead of just being like, haha, I know they're here, and then being like, <laughs> Well, I guess I'm going to let them go. Like, it's pretty obvious that you're letting them go. Do you think the team was, like, really bummed to find (laughs) us out later? They were like, man, like, we executed that so well. Uh, They would have never had any idea, (laughs) even though they did know. Like, they wouldn't have known otherwise because we were so stealthy. (laughs) Felt like a wasted moment. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So we get reunions, Mm -hmm. right? They they saved Annie. Yeah. Is it Annie? Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was Allie or Annie. Mm -hmm. They save Annie, so we get to see Finnick reunited with her, which is really sweet. It is. We see Joanna Mm -hmm. head shaved. Head shaved. Looking rough as ever. Yeah. Just as uh, witty and mad (laughs) and spitting as ever. Yeah. Then Katniss gets to see Peta. Mm -hmm. He's just woken up from the knockout gas. Yeah. He's being examined. He's very thin. They used, uh, like, CGI special effects to, like, yeah, you Make can tell. Make him scrawny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, he he's definitely thin, and I didn't think they would have had him diet for no, this. No, no. But, you know, it, it's, it's a good effect. For sure. Yeah. Uh, she, he turns around, and she kind of, like, goes to him like she's going to embrace him. I love in the book she describes him approaching with a kind of a strange look, and yeah. she thinks that he's going to caress her face. Yeah. And then he strangles her. <laughs> and I'll tell you what. In the film. Yeah, they go for this it. This is... I love the way they did this scene. Not that yeah. I love watching Katniss be strangled, but no. like they go for it. They really do. He literally grabs her neck and then just like whips her onto the ground. Well, he pushes her into a into glass first, yeah. like into a glass window that shatters. Ugh. Then like flips her on the ground. Mm-hmm. The guys try to get him off of her, and he throw kind of throws them off. Yeah, they're able to get him off at one point, and then he like gets back on yeah. her. Like it's an extended scene of him literally doing. A hundred percent to try to kill her. And I mean, like, like something else that always bothers me in films is when someone's being choked and you can just tell that, like, the hand is just resting on their neck. Yeah. And the person's doing all the acting to be choked. But, like, I mean, it really looks like he's squeezing. Jennifer Lawrence's eyes look like they're going to pop out of her head. I know. It's like the blood is rushing into her eyes. It's so disgusting. It's so violent. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I think... You need this to sell how horrifying this moment is. Like, it's PETA. Yeah. And he does, like, the most violent attack you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, Boggs is able to get him off her and, like, knock him unconscious. And this is where it's explained to us that PETA has been hijacked uh, with Tracker Jacker Venom. And they explain how they are assuming that, you know, the Capitol used Tracker Jacker Venom and then played different memories, like scenes that they had filmed of him and Katniss together. And then that venom, which gives the person who experiences just like intense fear and hallucination and just kind of associated that feeling with Katniss. Yeah. I mean, they they, they brainwashed him, right? Yes. It's just a slightly yes. science fiction-y it's way. It's fancier. Yeah. To, to tracker tracker venom. They, yeah. they, they brainwashed him. Yeah. And th- so, I mean, this is kind of the, the stopping point right here for mm-hmm. the book, right? The film kind of, like, wraps this up a little bit more. Katniss, poor Katniss, has this, like, uh, neck collar on. She just yeah. looks awful. 
we see Coin giving a speech mm-hmm. about the rebellion, how they're going to do everything they can. I love the moment of Plutarch mouthing, mouthing the, the speech along. I mean, once again, showing that his influence on her and their yeah. collaboration. Mm-hmm. And we get this haunting image at the end of Katniss visiting Peta's room and looking through the window. Mm-hmm. And you just see him like thrashing like a madman yeah. against his restraints. Mm-hmm. And it's so haunting. Yes. And unsettling. And that's the end. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> Originally, apparently, I don't know if this was just an idea at one point or if mm-hmm. the script actually called for this. The moment PETA gets knocked unconscious off of Katniss was supposed to be where the movie ended originally. Oh, my God. <laughs> Him attacking her, getting knocked out, and then it's just like the end, end. end credits. <laughs> Which. I mean, I kind of like having this creepy footage of PETA intercut with coin giving this inspiring speech yeah because juxtaposing this like victory for the rebellion and like kind of this more propaganda right yeah and then we're seeing katniss dealing with the fallout of having to be the mocking jay and what that has done to her and to Peta. yes i i think the what the movie ended up doing was just as unsettling mm-hmm. the the other one would have been more of like a talked about What's happening? Twist ending, yeah. yeah. Although anyone who's read the book knows. No. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's the end, that's right? The end. Of part one. Of part one, yes. Good, good, good start. I'm excited to read the second part. I mm-hmm. like. I like vaguely remember certain parts. I mean, th- there's definitely good chunks that I remember of the book. Yeah. And the film. But like definitely things that I kind of forget. Like I remember... Some characters who die. Mm-hmm. I don't know the state of other characters, so yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see how this story wraps up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like we're not going to compare them because we haven't really finished the book, right? But I will say, like this movie received, you know, some criticism for being kind of slow. Really? Yeah, and critics feeling like there's not a lot going on in this movie and did they really need to break it up into two parts? Does that feel organic? Does that feel natural? And I agree that I think this movie is a little bit boring. Like I find it interesting because, you know, I've read the book and, you know, the actors are doing a great job. And I do think that this movie is going for this propaganda angle and showing Katniss being used by district 13 and things like that. Um, But, like, I agree that it kind of the pacing feels a little bit weird because there is no, like, conclusion, really. Yeah, that's definitely true. I do think, though, that to tell this story with PETA, Mm -hmm. I think the two movies really helps that. Yes. For him to be absent an entire movie Mm -hmm. and then when he comes back in the next film like i think if that was told in one film it would feel really rushed. i think it'd feel super rushed Mm -hmm. so i do think that is one thing that really justifies the splitting up of this story yeah i do like i i get where people are coming from because the first two movies are very action heavy yeah and this one kind of has a couple mild action scenes it's definitely going for something different yeah and if you're comparing it to the tone of the other films like yeah it's definitely slower Mm -hmm. Uh, but i don't necessarily have an issue with that personally but yeah yeah i think it works for me at least but i can see i can see the criticisms and and understand for sure yeah should we do uh, a lightning round yeah let's do lightning round so first up for lightning round this is just such a small thing but in Peta's first interview mm-hmm. in the film 
He's wearing a suit, kind of a silvery suit. And instead of a tie, he's got like this pointy thing. Oh, I missed that. It's like a plastic, I mean, plastic, some type of hard material, pointy thing that kind of goes up towards his throat. (laughs) That distracted me (laughs) the entire scene. I need to like go look at that. I don't know. Like, I was like, is it like jabbing his neck or like when his, like his chin, the way it overlapped, it almost made it look like it wasn't they i can't explain it like it just my mind fixated on oh my it gosh. like the entire scene maybe i'll post it on instagram yeah, i'll see weird, if anyone else weird style of choice <laughs> like what is that for yeah i mean it feels very capitally but it's just how, somehow the way it looked on screen was very distracting <laughs> uh so next for lightning round i did want to just talk about another little tidbit that we learn about haymitch actually when finnick is recording his kind of story about his life and what happened to him. Yeah. And so he's talking about kind of being used, you know, as a prostitute essentially for Snow. And, you know, Katniss is with Hamish and she says, is that what happened to you? I asked Hamish. No, my mother and younger brother, my girl, they were all dead two weeks after I was crowned victor because of that stunt I pulled with the force field. He answers. Snow had no one to use against me. I'm surprised he didn't just kill you, I say. Oh no, I was the example. The person to hold up to the young Finnicks and Joannas and Kashmir's of what could happen to a victor who caused problems, said Hamish. But he knew he had no leverage against me. Until Peter and I came along, I say softly. I don't even get a shrug in return. I just think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. That um, Snow killed off everybody that Hamish loved immediately and that how that maybe backfired mm. because then he couldn't use any leverage on Hamish, but he used Hamish as an example to the other tributes so that he would have leverage leverage over them. And kind of highlighting how, why Hamish was in the state that he was in. Yeah. This, like just a drunk kind of incompetent. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, a lot of other victors have their own issues, Yeah, but he maybe wasn't needed for anything by the Capitol and they couldn't do anything to him. So he was just kind of left to like his own devices. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one other small little detail that kind of the, the book and film bring up is that District 13 has had multiple problems, it seems, with like flu or smallpox epidemics that mm-hmm. kind of sweep through the community. In fact, in the in the book, Katniss actually notices several a lot of people with like scarring on their faces from the illness. Mm -hmm. And it's even like brought up that they might have been so accepting of the people from District 12 Mm -hmm. so they can be like breeders, (laughs) they say, essentially, like just people to have more children and like increase the population of District 13. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, the film and I don't know, I, I like I said, I haven't finished the book yet, but like. It's mentioned that Coin lost her husband and maybe child, yeah. if I'm re- remembering right. That's just a movie thing. I thought so, mm-hmm. uh, to one of these epidemics. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, boy, after COVID, that <laughs> is sure, like, like, I get it. Like, they're all trapped, like, in yeah. a small underground area with, like, poor ventilation. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Some, and an outbreak happens. Yeah, it would just sweep through the community, like, yeah. unstopped. Mm-hmm. Well, on that positive note, <laughs> that is the end of Lightning Round in this episode. Maybe I should have saved the tie <laughs> thing for a second. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, get excited for our next episode, which will be coming out next Wednesday. So you only have a week to wait until that episode. And yeah, it's been fun. Join our Patreon if you want to. It's 
pretty cool over there, and you get Pre- pretty lots, chill. You pretty get lots fun. of fun stuff, you know. Yeah, and you get to support us, your favorite podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> you get access to a lot of bonus episodes, as well as monthly schedules, Discord access, mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, yeah, so join us there if you can't. Uh, rating us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts is also extremely helpful. Yeah, reach out to us with your thoughts on the Mockingjay book and movies if you want. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can email us at coveredacreditspod at gmail.com. Yeah, uh, thanks again for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time for the finale. See you next time. Bye. Bye.